have a copy of God's Word either in print like I do or you have a copy of God's Word on your phone or tablet, let me encourage you to hold it up and repeat with me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now open up your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 6. This morning we're going to begin looking at the most horrific time that will ever take place on planet earth until Jesus comes and makes everything right. It's the time of terrible tribulation. It's the wrath of the Lamb. It's, it's God's righteous judgment on a sinful, rebellious world. And I know there are some who will probably think when they read all of the things that happen in Revelation 6 through 19, how could a good God either allow or cause all of these horrible things to happen? But you must never forget that our God is absolutely fair and he's just in punishing evil. Wickedness deserves to be judged. Yet even as we observe God's wrath in Revelation, we discover God's mercy displayed over and over again. And what you need to understand is most often in these judgments that we read about in Revelation 6, these judgments are the result of evil that God allows to happen. God doesn't cause the evil, but he allows the evil. And now before we get into chapter 6, we need to go back to chapter 5. And let me remind you, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we, we're ushered into heaven. We're ushered into the throne room of God. And we discover that those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus are there. The church is there. We have been raptured out of this world. And we have experienced the judgment seat of Christ. Rewards have been given out. But we don't keep those rewards so that it will create pride in our hearts. No, we take those rewards, the crowns that we have been given, and we lay them down before the throne. Because we realize that only God is worthy of the glory and the honor and the praise. But then when we get to chapter 5, we're introduced to the Lion of Judah. We're introduced to the Lamb of God. And we're introduced to a scroll. I want you to listen to what God's Word says again as I begin reading in verse 1. It says, Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne that was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll and it was sealed with seven seals and I saw a strong angel who shouted out with a loud voice who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it but no one in heaven or 
on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and his seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the world. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. The one who is on the throne is holding a scroll and that scroll is sealed with seven seals. And John would have recognized this type of document. It was a title deed. It was a last will and testament, an instrument of ownership that can only be opened by the legal redeemer, the rightful heir. And clearly as we read the rest of the book of Revelation, this scroll would reveal the events of the future tribulation which would culminate in Jesus taking ownership of the world. It was sealed in such a way that, that a seal would be broken and, and part of the scroll could be read. And then another seal would be broken and another part of the seal, the scroll could be read. And, and that would go on and on until seven seals were broken and the entire scroll was read. But no one, no one in heaven, no one on earth, no one under the earth was found worthy to open the scroll until Jesus. The Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slaughtered was seen. And Jesus was worthy to open the scroll because he had purchased, he had redeemed the world with his blood. Now some of you may be saying, wait a minute, didn't he already own the world? I mean, he's the one who created everything. By him, all things were created that were created. So didn't he already own it all? Well, let me take you back to a conversation that took place at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus was in the wilderness. He was being tempted by Satan. And Satan took Jesus up to this pinnacle and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan said to Jesus, if you will only bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus didn't look at Satan and go, wait a minute, they already belong to me. He didn't say that because Satan did own the kingdoms of the world. When sin entered the world, the world became Satan's. He is the prince of this world. But when Jesus shed his blood on Calvary's cross, he purchased the world. He redeemed the world. The world belongs to him. He just simply hasn't taken ownership of the world yet and when he takes that scroll and he opens those seals he is taking ownership of the world then I want you to notice something in verse 6 and I want you to hold on to this because 
It's going to be important to what we look at next week. You, you see the sevenfold spirit, which is the Holy Spirit of God. And the sevenfold spirit is sent into every part of the world. And I want you to hold on to that. I want you to underline that in your Bible because it's going to be important to what we look at next week. But now as we move forward in this book, you're going to see that seven seals are broken. Seven trumpets are blown. And seven bowls are poured out, each filled with God's judgment and each getting progressively worse. Now, these seven seals that are broken are broken during the first part of the tribulation. Some say it's the first half, the first three and a half years. Others say that it's the first third of the tribulation. To be honest with you, I don't know, but what I do know, what I do believe beyond a shadow of a doubt is that these seals are broken at the beginning of the tribulation. And this morning, what I want us to do is look at these first four seals that are broken. We call these four seals the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And they initiate the seven years of tribulation. David Jeremiah says that, that horses represent God's activity on earth and the forces he uses to accomplish his divine purposes. Billy Graham in his book Approaching Hoofbury Beat said this, In my view, the shadows of all four horsemen can already be seen galloping through the world at this moment. And their hoofbeats are growing louder by the day. Now as we look at these four horsemen, these first four seals, we will discover that they are almost the exact same thing as the first four judgments in Matthew 24. Now when the first seal is broken, we see a rider on a white horse. And the rider on the white horse is the Antichrist. I want you to listen to what it says in verse 1. It says, as I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings saying with a loud, a voice like thunder, come. And I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gained the victory. Now the first living being says with a voice like thunder, come. Now, who is he calling? Is he calling John? No, because John is already there. He is calling this white horse, this white horse of God's judgment. Now, don't miss this. Events take place on earth because of God's direction in heaven. Whatever we see taking place on earth is a result of God's decree in heaven. And so John sees a white horse and the rider is carrying a bow and he is given a crown and he rode out gaining victory. Now some say that this is Jesus. But this couldn't be Jesus. Because Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the one who breaks the seal and opens the scroll so that this rider comes out. Jesus doesn't need to break a seal for him to come out. He's already out. So this isn't Jesus. This rider is wearing a crown, but he's wearing a Stephanos crown. In Revelation 19, where we see Jesus on a white horse, he is wearing many crowns, but he is wearing a diadem crown, the, the crown of royalty. 
A Stephanos crown is a crown of victory. This rider is carrying a bow, but he has no arrows. When Jesus comes, Jesus will have a sword coming out of his mouth, and he will be followed by an army of saints. This, this rider resembles Christ, but this rider isn't Christ. This is the Antichrist. Satan's Superman, the, the coming world dictator who rides in promising to bring peace in the midst of global turmoil. Now think about it for just a moment. The rapture has just occurred. The world is most likely on the brink of something terrible happening. And now this event has happened that no one can explain the rapture. And that's when the Antichrist comes in. And he calms everything down. He brings peace. He seems to have answers that, that make sense to everyone. And the world gives him control without ever firing a shot. This Antichrist is called many things in Scripture. He's called the prince who is to come. He's called a despicable man. He's called a worthless shepherd, the one who brings destruction, the lawless one, the beast. If you Google the Antichrist, you will discover that there are over 19 million results, and there may be over 20 million today. I Googled it yesterday. I Googled it last week, and there were 17 million results. Why is it going up? It's going up because more and more people are concerned about what is happening in our world today. And more and more people are trying to find answers to what is going on. People are anxious and people are worried as they look at world events and they want to know, is the Antichrist among us? And the truth of the matter is, yes. Antichrists have always been among us. Jesus said this in Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5. He said, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ. They will deceive many. Did you get that? Jesus said many will come claiming to be the Christ, and many will be deceived. John said in 1 John chapter 2, Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. Have already appeared. In 2 John verse 7, it says, Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an Antichrist. Don't miss that. The Bible says that many antichrists will come into the world from the moment that Jesus ascended into heaven until the moment that he comes back. There will be many antichrists in the world. And so what we need to ask first and foremost is how do we recognize if someone has the spirit of the antichrist? Because if there are many antichrists out there that are deceiving many people, we don't want to be deceived. Billy Graham said there are three questions that we need to ask where we can discover whether someone has the spirit of the antichrist or someone has the spirit of Christ. He said, first of all, is Christ worshipped as Lord and Savior? 
Is he seen as God, the only way to salvation? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus claimed exclusivity. He said, I am the only way. In Acts chapter 4, it says there is salvation in no other name but Jesus. There is only one way to be saved. And so if someone says that there are many ways to heaven, there are many paths to God, hear me. They have the spirit of the Antichrist. There is only one way to heaven, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you believe that anybody is going to heaven who has not been born again through the blood of Jesus, you have been deceived by the spirit of the Antichrist. The second thing Billy Graham said we need to ask is this. Is the Bible central as the one true God to faith and practice? You see, the Bible is the final, ultimate Word of God. It is our only source of authority. It is the only truth. That's why we say what we do before we open up the Word of God each Sunday morning. Because we want everyone to know that we believe this book is the source of authority. It's not a source of authority. It's not one of many sources of authority. It is the source of authority. If you want to know truth, you go to God's Word. And there are many out there who have the spirit of the Antichrist. Don't mean to offend anyone. But Mormons who have the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine of Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, they are being led by the spirit of the Antichrist. And you may have loved ones who are Mormons, but I'm here to tell you, Mormons are led by the spirit of of the Antichrist they have added to the Word of God Jehovah's Witnesses with the Watchtower Society have added to the Word of God you have Hindus you have Islam you have other religious organizations out there who have their holy books they have added to the Word of God and they are being led by the spirit of the Antichrist and then there are those today who call themselves progressive Christians. They say that they're Christians and yet they tell us that there are things in the Word of God that just aren't true. We, we don't need to abide by them today. Whether it be homosexuality, whether it be the biblical definition of marriage, whatever it may be, those progressive Christians will tell us, well, that's just not applicable today. We live in a different world today. They are being misled by the spirit of the Antichrist. The Bible is our only source of authority. We don't add to it. We don't take from it. And then finally, Billy Graham says, is participation in a local Christian fellowship encouraged? Understand, the church is not perfect. The church is flawed because the church is made up of flawed individuals like you and like me. We're flawed. We mess up. We're prone to wander. And yet, the church 
is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. It says in Ephesians chapter 5 that Christ loves the church and gave himself up for the church. In Hebrews 10 it says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together with other believers. Anybody that tells you that you can love Jesus, you can be a, an, an active believer serving the Lord without being involved in a local church has been deceived by the Antichrist. Don't listen to them. And so there is a spirit of the Antichrist all around. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about many Antichrists. In, in Revelation chapter 6, we're talking about the Antichrist. The embodiment of all that stands against God. And as we read through Revelation and we discover more about the Antichrist, we will see this. But we discover that the Antichrist will, will conquer and will eventually gain world power. And he doesn't even have to go to war to get that. Because he promises peace and, and gives the world an illusion of peace. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, this man will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use, listen, every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. The Antichrist will come and he will use every deception imaginable. To deceive those who are on their way to destruction. And why are they on their way to destruction? Because they refuse to follow the truth. They would rather follow their version of the truth rather than the truth. And so the Antichrist is going to come. He's going to deceive. He's going to pull the wool over people's eyes. In the book of Daniel, we're told that the Antichrist will will broker this peace deal with Israel and, and he will bring peace to the Middle East and it will be a seven-year peace deal. But the Antichrist will break that peace deal at three and a half years. And so he promises peace, but he doesn't really give peace. And I want to take a moment and talk about an event that I believe will happen at some point in the future and the reason I want to talk about it is because I think it's applicable to what we're experiencing in our world today I mean whether you know it or not our world is is at probably the most dangerous place it's been at least since the Cuban Missile Crisis we haven't been at a place like this the world is on edge I mean, when Vladimir Putin invades a sovereign nation to try to take it over. When he threatens the use of nuclear weapons against the world. We are in a dangerous place. But does the Bible speak about this? Well, I believe it does. You see, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, Ezekiel receives this prophecy from God and and it says in chapter 38 that this prophecy will occur a long time 
from now. That, that phrase is used several times, letting us know that this isn't something that's going to happen in the near future like many of the things that we read about in the prophecies of the Old Testament. This is something that's going to happen a long time from now. And he talks about this nation, Magog, that many other nations are going to form an alliance with. Those nations include Iran, Libya, Ethiopia, and other nations in the north. Now this Magog is in an area of the world above the Black Sea. That's where Magog was found. Now today Magog is where you find Ukraine. It's where you find Russia. And so Magog plays into biblical prophecy. And we don't know exactly where it plays in. Some people believe that this, this invasion of Israel that it talks about in Ezekiel 38 and 39 led by Russia will take place shortly before the tribulation. There are others who say that it's going to take place during the first part of the tribulation. There are still others that say no, it takes place at the very end. Well, here's what I believe. I believe because of the prophecies we read in chapter 38 and chapter 39 of Ezekiel, this battle that's going to take place, that not a, not a missile is going to be fired, God is going to intervene, and God is going to destroy the armies of Magog and, and Syria and Ethiopia and Libya and Iran and other nations from the north. God is going to destroy them. I believe that's going to happen at the beginning point of the tribulation. I believe that Russia is going to try to attack Israel and God's going to intervene. And it's going to set the stage for the Antichrist to come to power. Now, could I be wrong? Yes, I could be wrong. But what I'm not wrong on is this battle is going to happen. And there's going to be a point in the future where God intervenes when a conglomerate of nations led by Russia attacks Israel. Now here's what I know. We've never been closer to that than we are today. The world stage is being set for what we read about in prophecy. And so we see the white horses coming, the Antichrist. And then the second seal is open. And when the second seal is open, we see a rider on a red horse. And the rider on the red horse is war and violence. Listen to what it says. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being saying, Come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. And so what we see is when the Antichrist comes, peace comes. But the peace is only for a short time because then war and violence come unlike anything the world has ever seen before. And we've seen some horrific things. In World War I, 40 million people died. In World War II, between 70 and 85 million people died. But the wars and the violence that it says is going to take place here are much worse than anything like that. And it's not just wars. That phrase, slaughter everywhere, what it literally means is man will turn against man. 
So it's not just nation against nation, country against country. It's brother against brother. It's neighbor against neighbor. There will be fighting in the street. When the restrainer is removed, we will see violence unlike anything we have ever seen in the history of the world. That's the second seal. And then the third seal is open. And we see the rider on the black horse. And the rider on the black horse is famine. It says, when the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being saying, come. I looked up and I saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. When the third horseman comes, a terrible famine will hit the world. Now, famines always follow widespread war. But this famine is different than that. This famine hits the entire globe, everyone. Now, we in America, we don't know what a famine is like. I mean, 60% of us are overweight. We spend $15 billion a year on diet formulas. 15 billion but we won't be spending the money on diet formulas then and we're not going to be able to afford food at the grocery store somebody say we can't afford it now it's going to get worse I mean the Bible says that a man will work all day long for one meal one man will work all day for one meal so what do you do if you have a, a family of five You work all day to bring home enough food so that you can have one meal. What do you do with your kids? What do you do with your wife? How do you divvy up the food? The Bible says that it's going to be that bad. But then notice what it goes on to say. It says, and don't waste the olive oil and the wine. The olive oil and the wine are things for the rich. And So what he's saying here is that the divide between the rich And the powerful and those who call the shots will be greater than ever before between those and the regular people. And you see, the regular people will be everyone else but the people who are calling the shots. The people who are calling the shots, they'll have food to eat. They'll have the luxuries they've always had. But everyone else will be struggling to get by. And again, I don't think we understand what it is to be hungry the Bible says they that be slain with the sword are better than they that be slain with hunger hunger is a terrible thing and then finally the fourth seal is opened and we see the rider on a pale horse and the rider on the pale horse is death in the grave says when the lamb broke the fourth seal I heard the fourth living being saying come and I looked up and I saw the horse whose color was pale green this rider was named death and his companion was the grave These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, famine, with disease, and with wild animals. We've read about the sword, the wars, and the violence. We saw about the famine that will hit the world. Now we're told that there will also be disease and plagues. I mean, some of you were scared to death of COVID. COVID is nothing compared to what's going to hit the world during this period. And then it says will be 
killed by wild animals. What, what does that mean? When well, Genesis chapter 9 verse 2, we are told that God has put a fear of man in the animals. What would happen if God removes that fear? What if the fear of man is removed from animals? I mean, I used to love hiking, and, and when I would hike on the Appalachian Trail, I would come across a lot of bear. And bear are not, they're not violent animals for the most part. When you come across a bear and they see you, they're going to run. I mean, one time when I graduated from high school, college, I was taking my younger brother on a trip for a week on the Appalachian Trail, and we're hiking, and we met this guy from England who was touring the United States, and he was doing like a two-day hike, and he started hiking with us, and we were hiking on the trail one day, and I mean, we literally came within 10 yards of a bear. We were hiking. The bear was right there, and when we saw the bear, I stopped. My brother started running that way. The bear started running in the woods. And the guy from England started running after the bear. He wanted to get a picture. <laughs> I mean, animals, for the most part, are afraid of humans. But what will happen if a bear doesn't have fear anymore? He just sees us as a food supply. Lions. Dogs. Cats. I've always said our cat, if he had the power, he'd eat me. I mean, animals are crazy. I mean, but think what could happen if this fear is taken away and the animals turn on us. Now, some people say that that's a bad translation of this phrase, wild beast, that a better translation is little beast. I don't think so. But if it is little beast, people have said that what this is is a plague of rats. And did you know rats are the most destructive animal to mankind on the planet? Did you know... That if you killed 95% of the rat population today, within one year they would repopulate. Did you know that? You kill 95% of all rats, within one year they would repopulate. Did you know rats and the fleas on rats carry more diseases that kill people than any other animal? It was rats that brought the bubonic plague in the 14th century that wiped out one-third of Europe. It was rats that brought typhus to the world in over three centuries, killed 200 million people. Rats. But here's what you need to know. When the fourth horse rides in, death and the grave, by the end of this time, one-fourth of the world population will be dead. Within two to three years, of the tribulation beginning, one-fourth of the population. Now, and in today's terms, not counting the rapture because we don't know how many real believers there are, but in today's terms, if that happened, that would be about 2 billion people. 2 billion people die in two to three years. And it gets worse from there. Here's what I know. If you believe the Bible, you're not going to want to be here. <laughs> I can promise you, you're not going to want to be here. And our only hope of not being here is the rapture and knowing Jesus. That's our only hope.
So my question is, do you know Jesus? And I'm here to tell you, regardless of who you are, you don't want anyone you love to be here. Because it's going to be horrific. It's going to be worse than anything we've ever seen and worse than anything we can ever imagine. And we haven't even begun to see the horrible parts of the tribulation that we begin to see in chapter 8, chapter 9, and following. Do you know Jesus? The Bible tells us that you and I can be spared from the wrath that is to come. But the only way to be spared is to know Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. To be born again. And I believe with all my heart that when Jesus comes, there are going to be many people who say, well, I prayed a prayer that are going to be left behind. There are going to be many people who said, well, I was dunked in a pool, I was baptized, but they're going to be left behind because they've never been born again. God's Spirit has never taken up residence in their life. They've never truly trusted Jesus to be their Savior. They've never surrendered their life to Jesus as the Lord of their life. And if you're here and you haven't humbled yourself before God and made that decision, I beg you, I plead with you, don't leave here today without getting this right with God. Because at any moment, Jesus could come back. And the Antichrist, the wars, the famine, the disease, the pestilence, all of that will start. You're not going to want to be here. Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? Your head bowed with your eyes closed if you're here and, and you've never truly humbled yourself before Almighty God. You've never trusted Jesus to be your Savior, surrendering your life to Him as your Lord. And you're ready to do that today then I want to encourage you to, in humility, pray this prayer. Dear God, I humbly come to you today acknowledging I'm a sinner. I've been living life my way. I've been sitting on the throne of my life. I'm tired of rebelling against you. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave defeating sin and death for me. Right here, right now, I'm trusting you to save me. Right here, right now, I'm relinquishing control of my life to you. I'm yours. Take control. And Jesus, I want to follow you for the rest of my life.
Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. And with your head still bowed, your eyes still closed. If you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus, then I want you to take a moment. And I want you to think about people that you know, people that you love, that you're just not sure they're going to go to heaven. Do you want them here for what's next? Do you love them enough to have a conversation with them? To talk to them about our only hope? Right now, think about those people. And in the stillness of this moment, make a commitment to share the gospel with them. Father God, give us passion and compassion for those who are lost. Give us courage and boldness to share the hope, the only hope for sin. Amen.